hope that this message encourages you today. For more information about us, please visit myfreedom.church. So Colossians 2, verses 1 through 5, what's the big idea in, in, in this chapter? Well, Paul's stressing to the church, so this is the Apostle Paul, who we believe wrote the, the letter to the Colossians, and a lot of there's some people out there who don't believe Paul wrote the letter, but the majority of, of scholars uh, are quite happy with him being the author of this letter, even though it feels a bit different to letters to other churches and what have you that we read in scripture, such as Ephesians and what have you. But nevertheless, and you know, when we write letters, sometimes we write them differently to different people, don't we? Yeah. You know? So it has hallmarks of Paul, but there's a bit of debate, but on the whole, they believe Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul. So he's stressing, this is the big idea of chapter 2, he's stressing to the church there in Colossae um, how he is continuing to pray for them. He's continuing to pray for them and, and he's praying specifically for the Colossian church not to be distracted by arguments. <laughs> not to be distracted by arguments and to be encouraged in their faith. Who, who doesn't argue in this room? Who's never had an argument? There we go, fantastic. You're all honest with me. That's brilliant. I've, I've, I've argued far too much. But we shouldn't ever be distracted by those arguments, should we? So let me, let me read it to you. Let, let's, let's read it together. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So if you don't have that translation, it will sound different. But we all have different translations in our, on our devices and in our hands right now. So you'll have to, you'll have to um, get along as well as you can. I wish you could know how much I have struggled for you and from the, for the church in the Odyssea and for the many other friends I've yet to meet. I love that. The many other friends I've yet to meet. I am contending for you that your hearts will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven and woven together into love's fabric. You can smile. Come smile at me, guys. Isn't this awesome stuff? Can I read that a bit? Okay, okay. I'm contending for you that your heart will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven and woven together into love's fabric. This will give you access to all the riches of God as you experience the revelation of God's great mystery, Christ. For our spiritual wealth is in Him. Like hidden treasure, oh wow, hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. Heaven's wisdom and endless riches, not, not bit of riches or a, or a couple of storehouses of riches, but endless riches of revelation knowledge. I want you to know this so that no one will come and lead you into error with their persuasive arguments and clever words. Even though I am separated from you geographically, my spirit is present there with you. And I am overjoyed to see how disciplined and deeply committed you are because you have such a solid faith in Christ, the Anointed One. Sometimes you just, you just don't want to preach after you've read a bit of the scripture. It just speaks so much to us. But I'm going to. Um, 
Notice, notice, this is, this is the thing that, that really stood out to me as I read these five verses. There are several things. And of course, with any bit of scripture, it says there right in, in, in this bit of scripture here, endless riches of revelation knowledge. So, so we, we could say months and months and years and years, as people have done to, to pull apart, to, to really get into the depths of what the word is saying. So I'm not going to cover everything, but these are the things that the Holy Spirit has helped me pull out of these scriptures over this last week or so. And the first one is this. Notice the intensity of, of what Paul is saying here about his prayer. Paul describes having a great struggle. A great struggle. I wish you could know, he says, how much I have struggled for you. So he's hearing about these different churches being set up in these different cities. And he's saying to the Colossians, I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm, I'm struggling in prayer. I'm struggling. Have you, have you ever struggled for anything? Have yeah. you ever struggled yeah. for anything? Yeah. I think we all have, haven't we? We've all struggled for something, through something. We, 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 we know what that feels like. Yeah. But when we, uh, when we think about what, what we mean by struggling, it's about, it's about us trying to attain something. Isn't it? It's, it's, it's despite what's going on around us, we're going we're to do this. We're going to try and do this. We're going to get through this. So despite the circumstance, we're trying our best. And that is, that is struggle, isn't it? So despite what you see, I'm going for this. And that is struggle. For example, um, when I was at school, which is unfortunately a long time ago now, um, when I was at school, I struggled to get my head around maths. Anybody else struggle to get their head around maths? No. Thank you, thank you, folks. Um, um, and in fact, I still do today. That's why cleverer people than me inventing calculators. Okay. All right? I struggle with maths. I still do today. It doesn't come easy for me. Sometimes I feel like there must be a, a, a version for maths of dyslexia. I don't, you know, do you know what I mean? Thank you, there, there is. There is. There is. Discalcula. Discalcula. That sounds like the right word. Right. Discalcula. Um, I like that. I'm not going to put that for myself, but I, I you know, it, it, I just struggle. I have to work really hard if I'm working stuff out and, uh, and what have you. And, and so when I was at school, I started on, I really wanted to do physics. Can I just share that little? I really wanted to do physics in my option years, you know, but I couldn't because my maths wasn't good enough. And I would have struggled. And I, I really wanted to do it, but I couldn't. Because I, when, I, when I kind of get, I can't remember what year you go into now, but you kind of, I think you spend the first year being tested and stuff, and then the second year you get dropped into a set or something. I can't remember now. But nevertheless, I remember starting at the bottom. <laughs> Whatever the bottom, there were probably seven sets, and I was at eight. You know, it was, it was like that. Um, but I did, I, one of the things, one of the qualities I do have is, is when I want to do something, I'm committed to try and get it done. And despite how hard maths was, I was determined to move up some sets. So what did I do? I struggled. But I struggled and I attained certain things. So I moved up three or four sets in however intervening opportunities I managed to get. But I was still not at the level where I could get C or above by the time GCSEs came along. And I just thought, I sat that then. If I can't get over C, I don't want to. So it was the low end. I wanted to do drama. I wanted to be an actor. Actors don't need to add up. We need to read lines. You know, it wasn't. <laughs> um, so I, I struggled to move up the sets, but I did achieve some of them. And I'm determined. I pushed on. We struggle to do better. Struggling then doesn't mean that we never achieve. Struggling isn't meant to be forever. 
And I say that even with the, I say it with an eternal context as well, because we may struggle with something all our lives here, but once we've, once we've passed into glory or, or, or we've continued into glory, I guess, that struggle will end, it will cease. So, so struggles will cease. We will get to the end of them. It just means sometimes that, that particularly here on earth, that, that um, achievement will cost us something. So, so for me to really get through this maths thing, I really had to knuckle down and, and work really hard and, and kind of send my brain into all sorts of different kind of shapes, if you understand what I mean, because I really do struggle with, with, with maths, not simple maths, but kind of the things that you needed to get good grades. So it was a mental, it was a very much a mental struggle for me. Sometimes there are, there are struggles we have that are physical struggles as well. Um, and, and the same thing applies. We, we adapt, we change, we, we, we create workarounds, even though we're still struggling with certain things that are going on within us or, 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 or you know, with our bodies. The interesting thing, the word struggle used by Paul here, Stuart, over the last number of weeks have given you Greek words, well, I'm going to give you a Greek word here this morning. Um, he uses, uh, well, it's actually where we get the word agonize from. Uh, and that word is, and I wrote it in, in uh, phonetics so I could do it properly for you. Agobidzome, I still can't do it. Agobidzomahi. Agobidzomahi. Any Greek scholars in the house? No, great, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> it refers to strenuous work. So that word that he used for struggle in Greek, it, it's from the word, and we get the word agonize, it refers to strenuous work. Some translations, you may have read it in your translations, um, and translate it as conflict. Conflict. So I was, in, I was in conflict for you then, Paul, can also be said to have, have said. It also references in English another word that can come from the Greek word, if you like, is the word zeal. Zeal is a good word, isn't it? Just like you're passionate about something, you're zealous for something. And when I think of zealous, I think of jealous, I'm just desperate for it. I, I want to achieve it, do it, I'm going for it. Zeal. Now in a much more eternal uh, life or death situation than my particular maths issue, um, you've got Paul prayerfully struggling. He's, he's in conflict on behalf of the Colossian church. In other words, he's never giving up. He's, he's got zeal. Yeah. What, he's, he's there on his, I don't know, on his knees or whatever, you know, struggling, conflicting, in zeal for, for the Colossian church. So you can get, this isn't some half-hearted prayer, is it? It's, it's, it's not a, anything that's kind of, oh, God, pray for Colossian church. Got your tracks now. Pray for Colossian church. God, you're all right. Amen. <laughs> He's not doing it. He's, he's, in a, he's in a fight, isn't he? Yeah. He's in a fight then. He's in conflict. He's, he's passionate about what he's doing. And, and he's doing that because he wants to be spiritually against anything uh, that's distracting the church in Colossae. Right. He's, he's, he, this is serious stuff. Yeah. This is eternal stuff. And what makes this struggle that he's going through in prayer so astonishing is that he didn't know the church personally he didn't know them he knew he knew Epaphras who was one of his disciples who went and set up the church 
in Colossae. He knew him. That's why he was, the connection was there. But he didn't know these people personally. But he was in conflict spiritually for them. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Yes. Isn't that so cool? How often can we say that we've stepped out into a situation or, or with a bunch of people that makes you feel so uncomfortable that you struggle to want to stay in that, in that place or with those people? Let me give you a couple of examples of what I mean by that, why I'm going there. How hard, how hard do you find it hearing a viewpoint that's different from your own? In our present political climate, yeah, I'm going to go there. You've got two main parties that are poles apart in their ideologies. There may be crossovers in certain areas, but in general, one's more capitalist, one's more socialist. Those worlds, those ideologies are quite different, aren't they? Yeah. They're quite different. So we've got, we've got these two main parties, and I know that some of you in here would vote Labour, some of you in here would vote Conservatives. And then there are the others, but let's not talk about those. Because they're not going to get into power. We've got two. We've got we've got two main parties, have we not? Have we not got two main parties? I told you I was going there. And one of them is going to have a majority over the other, and they're going to be the ones in a position of power, aren't they? They may have smaller parties that might need to back them up if that's the case. But ultimately, the main one of them, Conservative or Labour, are going to be the ones in majority of power. All right. Now. What was interesting is your reaction there. As I, as I said, the other ones, whoa. Oh, okay, so I know where you, where, where you, where you lie possibly. I know. You, do you know what I mean? We, we start, there's a tension that starts to happen when we realise people might think differently from us. And, and, and life get, begins to get a little bit tough. How awkward might it be to discover <laughs> that the person sitting near you might be a Brexit supporter. There might be a Brexit supporting Conservative. Or there might be a Remain supporting Labour advocate. Oh, don't we feel like it's getting tense? <laughs> Make you feel a bit. Oh, I'm still here looking at you. I'm feeling tense. You know, it's. Could you still be friends? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You say that. No, I believe I believe that for individuals, but there are some families and some friends who, when the Brexit vote came in, they they, they were split apart. That's really sad. Yeah, that's really sad. It's extremely sad. But the point is, could you still be friends? Would you still love them? Like them? As much as you previously did? Would, you, would your relationship change somewhat? Would you even struggle, like I said, you know, knowing the families that have, have, have been divided over this, would you struggle to remain connected? Would you try as hard to remain connected? Would their worldview, let's pretend it's a lot in here and those that aren't here this morning, 
as a follower of Christ, which is so similar to yours, they've got a worldview so similar to yours in every respect because they're followers of Christ, but they differ politically to you. Would that change everything for you? Would you struggle to understand them? Struggle doesn't mean remember that we give up. It just means would you struggle? Would you go through a process to begin to understand why they think the way they do? Would you be open to doing that? Yeah. In terms of the gospel, how many of us in the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ? His death and his resurrection. How many of us over the years have reached out to people we don't know, we don't understand, wouldn't even associate with, and we found ourselves so uncomfortable that every fibre of our being would rather be anywhere else than standing in front of this stranger. And we, in the last number of years, have you placed yourself in such a position? Willing to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Have you struggled? Have you wanted to push on through? But that stranger that you're, you're standing in front of in this hypothetical example is a stranger that Jesus loves. Yeah, if we're to be like Jesus, then we need to learn how to love them too. So those examples, they might be, they might be really hard um, for a lot of us to be involved in. And, and, and we might struggle. It's always easy when somebody thinks the same as you, isn't it? always easier when somebody has the same kind of habits and, and, and views as you. But for the kingdom, we need to strive to achieve relationships and overcome differences. I'll say that again, because that needs a yes. For the kingdom, we strive to achieve relationships and to overcome differences. So to come back to Paul, let's come back to Paul. He's struggling in prayer. Or he's in, he's in conflict in prayer. Like I said, some versions say that. And I don't think he, he's talking about the struggle that many of us think, actually, that when we, when we think of the struggle to pray, when we don't feel like we're feel like praying. Because, because first of all, his, his struggle is, is, is a spiritual one. He, he's, he's pleading with God. On their behalf because of this threat and we're going to take a little bit more detail on it in a, in a, in a little while the threat of false teachers it, he feared the devastating and eternal consequences of false teaching taking root in the church big C there's eternal consequences when things that aren't biblically founded start taking root in the church and changing how we approach things. Yeah. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more in a bit. But second, his struggle was because prayer is a form of spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. it, it, it most certainly is. Interceding, that is praying for others, is coming against evil. I don't want to over-dramatise it, but evil exists. 
So when we intercede, when we pray for others, we're coming against evil. And therefore, it is an actual conflict. We are in conflict with the powers of darkness. I want to focus on and remain where Jesus loves him and talk about how much the Father loves us, etc., etc. But we are in conflict with evil. And, and what that means is that sometimes praying for others is the most effective form of ministry that you can have in someone's life. You can do all sorts for them practically. You can minister to them in all sorts of wonderful ways. But as a Christian, one of the most important things you can do is pray. And that's what Paul is doing from afar. He's under house arrest, he's in Rome, and he's in conflict for the church in Colossae spiritually. What things might be coming against him because he's put himself on, you know, on, the, on the battlefield, ready to intercede for that church in Colossae? What's hitting him? What's coming at him? Clearly something. Because he says he's struggling, he's in conflict for them. Mm-hmm. We read in, in verse 2 and 3 that Paul prayed that the hearts of the people of the Colossian church would be encouraged. Uh, 2 says, I'm contending for you that your hearts will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven. The heart is where faith springs from. So he's praying then, in that prayer, he's praying their faith be strengthened to to face the opposition of false teaching that he goes on to talk about throughout Colossians, actually not just in this small bit here. He wanted them to remain faithful to Christ and he prays and he prays together they'll be they'll be knit together in love. In fact he says woven together into love's Fabric. What a great way of putting that. We have a tapestry of different people all woven together because of God's love. It's all the churches. Encouragement comes to us too. As we grow closer, closer in love and mutual support. Love is the glue that holds communities together. If we don't have love, we begin to divide. When you differ from somebody politically, when you differ from somebody who has a slightly different worldview from you, unless you have love, you will begin to divide. You will separate. Love is the glue that holds community together. When outside forces like false teaching and sometimes in-house disagreement threaten to disrupt it. Truth is fundamental to our faith. Knowing that we've got a bedrock of truth and that we're not swaying to and fro in the wind with the next kind of trendy spiritual idea is what encourages our faith. Paul prays to the Colossians that the result of encouragement and growing in mutual support is that (laughs) they'll be given access to all the riches of God. As you experience the revelation of God's great mystery, Christ. I personally desire the riches of God. Who would like the riches of God? Who would like to know more of Christ in other words? We do that when we encourage one another, 
and when we're mutually supportive of one another. That's how we move forward. That's how we grow spiritually. That's how we develop as a church and as a local church. That's how we grow. That's ultimately what others are attracted to. And they see Christ in each one of us. Encouragement and authentic community leads to greater confidence in our faith as well as greater insight into the knowledge of Christ. When was the last time you encouraged someone? You don't have to answer. When was the last time you encouraged someone? It doesn't even need to be a fellow believer. I'm not even just talking about, about that or this local church. When was the last time you left, say, an encouraging message on social media? Hmm. Made a phone call. Wow, that's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> Made a phone call or, or sent, sent a text message. And it's a message with no strings attached. It's just one that builds up and lifts up those that God has prompted you to connect with. You ask regularly every day, Lord, who can I, who can I encourage today? Who can I... You know, if you get into one conversation, you just want to encourage someone. For a believer, I think this helps, helps us feel more connected to the body of Christ when we do that for one another. And the body of Christ is his church. But to those that are still seeking, because I believe everybody's seeking something, even if they call themselves atheists, they still believe in something. Still seeking something. So those that are not yet seeking that encouragement from someone that they, they know is someone of faith may be the very thing that pulls them near to him. Even as you're thinking now, right, you might even be thinking now, who could I send a message to? Who have I sent a message to? Um, you, may, you may even doubt that that word has had any effect on them. You don't hear anything back. And you go, I just don't know what that's done. Has it, has it actually done anything? I was prompted to give it, I've given it. And you kind of doubt that, that anything's happened. It hasn't gone on too many times. You might even begin to doubt now your own faith. How strong is your faith? You ever, does anybody here, again, don't answer, but you ever doubted God's goodness? Is your salvation God's forgiveness? Or even God's love? Have you ever, have you ever doubted those things at any point? I think, I think all of us at some point, I would argue, I think at some point we've probably doubted something of God. When that prayer hasn't been answered, when that, that bad thing has happened, when that disconnection has been made, we, we, we found ourselves doubting God. Maybe. And, and, and then we, we then begin to struggle with doubt. And the thing is, here's, here's the good thing about doubt is it's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a paradox for you. The good thing about doubt, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Because doubt, healthy kind of doubt, it drives you to ask questions. It drives you to study. It drives you to search out a particular subject. At least that's what it should do. Healthy doubt can be good if it drives you to, to understand better who God is. Um, but it, on the flip side of that, in James, in chapter 1, in the book of James, it does say this, from verse 6. 
he, he tells us that the doubter is like, this is a bit rough to hear, the doubter is like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute and you're tossed the next. When you're half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. That's what doubt does when you don't do anything with it. It leaves you unstable and wavering. But if we take doubt and we do something with it, it pushes us to study, to search out, to pray, to connect. It begins to be helpful. So Paul prays that the church in Colossae will be encouraged and grow in authentic community so that they'll have full assurance. That is confident, not doubtful, and fully convinced in their faith when it's centered on Christ. The goal of encouragement and authentic community is that we experience the confidence that comes from an increased understanding as well as a more profound and life-changing knowledge of Christ. Yeah. And we spend time with him. There's so much to gain, isn't there, from being in open, genuine, honest, loving, truthful relationships. And sometimes truth hurts. Sometimes we need to be that truthful. But if it's for the benefit of your brother and your sister in faith, then we can, we can work with that because it's said in, in truth. It's said, in, it's said graciously, but it's truthful. Paul's point in Colossians is that if we find strength from each other, we'll be more confident in our faith. And we'll experience the depths and the treasures of the wisdom and, and the knowledge that's only found in Christ. We need to know each other. We need to treasure Christ more deeply. So that we'll be prepared when obstacles do come our way. Because they will come our way. They do come our way. Um, you, I, I, you hinder your spiritual growth. Believe this so much. You hinder your spiritual growth. You're not in authentic community. And in Colossae, it was the local church that was growing there. And for us here, Freedom Church in LS9. Your spiritual growth, your confidence in your faith, and the deepening relationship with Christ require being part of and encouraging people. It's possibly a little arrogant to think otherwise. And the Word of God stresses it over and over again about being part of an authentic community. I want to come now with a little more focus of why Paul gives that motivation for praying. I mentioned it a few times already. He says in verse 4, I want you to know, uh, know this, that no one will come and lead you into error through their persuasive arguments and clever words. Persuasive arguments and clever words. Have you ever been so convinced of a position that you would go to the grave defending it? Only then you find it to be debunked so easily and quickly by someone who has that little more knowledge, a little more experience than you do. The power of community gives us a safety net. It gives us a safety net. When others are allowed to challenge and debate, when we're not fearful of, of positive confrontation, community enables us to 
to hit the reset button when we stray too far from the gospel truth. And what I'm talking about when I'm talking about gospel truth or biblical truth, I'm talking about those truths that the church has held for nearly 2,000 years. And in only recent times have we begun to question and challenge those things because culture wants to do things in a different way. So that's what I talk about when I'm talking about spirit, uh, spirit, um, uh, gospel truths, biblical truths. I'm sure you can all begin to think about what they might be. Encouragement and being involved in community produces a greater confidence in your faith. At least it should be. Confidence in your faith, a deeper understanding of our faith, and a greater treasuring of Christ when it protects us from being deceived by false teaching. And in the 21st century, we can access whatever teaching we would like, wherever we would like, whenever we would like. Not all of it is healthy and good for you. So being in a local community is a safety net. You come back in, you say, I've, I've, I've encountered this and this. What do you think? What do you think? So you've got a little slight tangent. That's how the word of God has been brought to us. Some people say that how can we trust the word of God because it's just copies of copies, amendments of amendments. It's like Chinese whispers down the centuries. Not true. We have copies that come almost within the lifetime. We have uh, copies that come almost within the lifetime of Christ. That in the science of textual criticism, that would be enough to say that's a truthful historical document that we can rely on. But we don't have ones or twos or threes. We have thousands of copies. And that is then the safety net for your word, for the word of God, the word that you've got holding in your hands. Because we can compare one to another, to another, to another. And ultimately we find there's only, I don't know, there's less than 10 errors within scripture that would change the meaning of a particular verse or a chapter. But even then, it doesn't change the overall message of, 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 of the Bible. The rest of those errors are just spelling errors. You know, scribes have copied and what have you. Maybe, you know, maybe they've, they've changed the spelling of the word slightly or something like that. Or they've rearranged it ever so slightly. But there's a safety net. In other words, there's a safety net in numbers. And so your scripture has a safety net of numbers and that's how it can be quite reliable. And it isn't copies of copies of amendments of amendments like Chinese whispers. When you are out on your own, when you're out there at the very end of the branch of, of you know, say, say the church is a tree, if you're right there on the branch, if you're quite away from the centre, then you are in danger of being picked off by an enemy. You are in danger of being picked off by, and I've seen it so many times. So many times. The most dangerous um, false teaching that you find is, is that things that sound like the real thing. It's teaching that sounds reasonable. It sounds believable. It's got no real depth. It's got no foundation. And it would only crumble if, if, if we took responsibility to dig deeper. If we didn't just take people who seem clever and good and, 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 and what have you, and, and a place of power almost, and we go, actually, let me just challenge that. Let me just go find out what you mean by that. It's, it's not that doctrine should ever be challenged. In community, so I hope I'm making that clear. We, we, it's not we, we should be in a healthy place where we can challenge. Yes. Uh, a place where we can say, how do we, where do we stand on, on cultural issues? 
Yeah. Where, where, where do we stand? Shouldn't it, I'm not saying that should never be challenged. A healthy community, a healthy community should generate debate, it should generate thinking, it should, we should, we should desire, it should generate an experience, a desire for experience for the presence of God to help us work through these things. Yeah. Sure. But it's when you start to stray from fundamental truths to line up more with society that has rejected God. So why should we listen wholeheartedly, you know, hook, line and sinker to a society that has rejected God rather than nearly 2,000 years of, of solid scriptural beliefs? Mm-hmm. That's why, again, family helps us pull us back into the truth of his word. If you're interested, by the way, that false teaching that Paul was speaking about back then is something called Gnosticism. There's another word. It starts with a G. Don't know why. Lots of words do, don't they? It's a little bit weird. Um, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism says this. Gnosticism says that humans were divine souls trapped in, 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 in the, the physical or the material world. And that they say that the world was made by an imperfect spirit. That God is an imperfect spirit that created an imperfect world and that, that we are spirits trapped in this imperfect world and our only release is to be released from this imperfect world. So Gnostics, if you ever come across one, I don't know if you will, you'll find that they punish the physical. They punish the physical because this is evil, the spirit is good. I don't read that in scripture. <laughs> Don't read that in scripture. So that's what they are. They, they believe that the imperfect spirit is, is, is the same as the God of Abraham. And that the imperfect spirit can be seen as evil. Or sometimes not perfect. But it's just doing the best it can. And that is the false teaching that Paul was warning the Colossians against. And that is what we need to be careful of in terms of all the cultural ideas that I want to grab hold of the church and change it. We also need to be careful about what's our theology and where is it standing and how does it line up with two, over two, nearly 2,000 years of, of truth in terms of, of since Christ, in terms of Old Testament uh, um, theology. How do we read that? We read it in the light of Christ. And also let's not put down or forget all the ch- early church fathers and some mothers, but mainly fathers, I acknowledge, all their teaching and revelation that they've had. Let's not be, I don't know what the word is, Let's not think because we live in 2019 that we have a better understanding of everything that somebody did, you know, 1,500 years ago or something like that. That's crazy. You learn from those who have gone before you. And you, 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 you better yourself because of those learning from those who have come before you. Here's something else that the Gnostics believe. They believe that the real God the real God, not the one that created everything, but the real God is distant. He's not easy to know. And uh, there's special secret knowledge only given to, to special secret people. <laughs> Some Gnostic groups saw Jesus as being sent by a supreme being to bring Gnosis. So Gnosis basically means um, a knowledge of spiritual mystery to earth. So when I get Jehovah's Witnesses, like yesterday, for example, knocking on my door, or rather, as I was leaving the house to go somewhere, they said, are you leaving? And I said, yes, I am. Are you a Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> and they said, yes, we are. I said, well, bless you. I would love to talk to you. I am a Christian who believes in the spiritual truths of what my scripture says. And I would love to talk to you about that, but not right now. But in other words, 
they're deceived because they believe they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe he is a created being. And at the end of time, when judgment day comes, only a number of hundreds of thousands of them will get to be in heaven. The rest of us will have to spend some time on a nice looking earth. Can you see where it starts to deviate from what the biblical truth is now? It's, it sounds almost Gnostic to a point. It's just, we love them, we care for them, we bless them, and I indeed bless them, as I said, God bless you. But we've got to be willing to engage with these people. We've got to, we've got to combat any heresy that wants to, to take us out, because it's from the end. Are there other teachings, other, like for example, Joe Swinton, are there other teachings that you feel are creeping into the church in the 21st century that are slipping away from the truth of his word? Are there any teachings that you find attractive? And have you tested them against his word and nearly 2,000 years of church history? And you don't just believe them because some charismatic individual has explained them to you like that. Or because society is pushing you so hard to accept this, that, and the other. Have you tested it against the Word of God? It's a good question. And it's good to question things. It's, it's not good to feed yourself what might be a potential lie. And the final verse I'm going to just cover this morning is, he says this, Even though I'm separated from you geographically, my spirit is present there with you, and I'm overjoyed to see how disciplined and deeply committed you are because you have such a solid faith in Christ, the Anointed One. So like I said, Paul's letters were like his being there when he's not there. And as an apostle to the church, he had an authority to bring to the things to the church in Colossae, even if they didn't know him personally. Ultimately, his word carried weight because they were inspired by the Spirit the very words of God. So that letter that they would have received, this letter, it would be read in public or in a situation where the most of the church could, could read it. So Paul's spirit, his apostolic authority by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was present in those moments. And so that letter carried the same weight as his authority of actually even being there. So he's, he's present with them, even though he's not present with them. He's rejoicing because he sees the fruit of his letter. There must have been a few letters going back and forth. It's, it's, like, it's like hearing one side of a phone call sometimes, some of these, these letters. We can only presume what might have been sent previously. But clearly he's seeing and he's hearing of commitment to the local church in Colossae and, and their solid faith in Christ. So what have we found out from these first just five verses in, in Colossians. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some main points to take away. Prayer is massively important. And sometimes we just got to keep on praying until something happens. Yes. And praying for something is going to and can bring conflict. But guess what? We can overcome that because of what Christ, what Christ has done, because of who he is. He is the great overcomer. Second thing, love is a choice. When we choose to love others like Christ loves them, then that is a powerful and truly breathtaking decision. 
And it won't come easy for us. I get that. With all our baggage, with all our biases that we all carry. But we, as we practice what we preach, we'll find that that kind of love can begin to flow freely. Thirdly, life is a community. And our family believers that support one another in love, the same way that we do it to treat those who we don't know, we have to remember to continue to treat those uh, that we do in life in a similar, that we do life with us in a similar fashion. So as we say we love each other, we've also, as a community, we've also got to love others outside of the church in a similar fashion. Fourthly, it's okay to doubt. So long as that doubt leads you to study, healthy discussion, and prayer. And finally, it's like the drum that I keep on banging. Being committed to a local church helps bring personal, spiritual growth and helps us when we're challenged with doctrine and teaching that have begun to stray from biblical truth. Whether you are listening or watching, we hope you enjoyed this message please consider giving us a rating on your preferred podcast provider. If you're watching, please hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you never miss another video from Freedom Church.